Hey there, so before you listen to the sermon, I need to tell you I forgot to record the reading of the scripture, uh, which Joel read for us. We do our services live on Zoom, so it it would have sounded strange anyway coming through uh, the computer. But if you want to read the story, uh, it's Luke chapter 2, verses 41 through 52. Uh, It's the story of Jesus staying behind in Jerusalem during the Passover festival. It's three days later. His parents go looking for him. It's a great story. Uh, but make sure you read that before you listen to the talk or just listen to the talk and try to uh, connect the dots. But uh, otherwise, that's the scripture for today. Thank you for joining us, and I hope this message is encouraging to you. Grace and peace. Way down yonder, sometime, better know the law. Sometime, good from Mary. Sometime, it is mother-in-law. Sometime, let's get on board. Sometime, I want to ball that day. Sometime, I tell my honey, come back. Sometime, I want to rap that day. Sometime, I get a hop in my... Thank you, Joel, for reading that. Um, so I want to start with, this is our first you know, uh, sermon of the year. And I wanted to start with this, uh, this story. Uh, I, I found, I forgot I had these, but I found it up. You won't be able to see it, but it's like this little coin. And this is an old, uh, coin. It's a Marta token. If you're not familiar with tokens, then you never went to an arcade, but this is what you used to ride the train or the bus, and um, it's hard to see, but this is, I've got a few of these that someone had given me uh, that they had found uh, because they knew I liked to ride the train, so why not give Derek a coin that he can't use? But a very cool piece of memorabilia, and it reminds me of when I was in elementary school, upper elementary school, uh, we, we lived uh, in Brookhaven, for a while, and uh, for a long time, for many years, I went to, it's no longer there, but I went to uh, the boys club right there on, uh, I I guess that's Druid Hills, and it's gone now, they're putting some um, McMansions there, but the boys club was like a place that I went in the summers and after school and whatever, Um, but this was also during a time when they really couldn't monitor uh, you very well, Uh, and there were all these kids there, and my friends and I would often um, leave the boys club campus uh, and just wander around the neighborhood. And then sometimes we would scrape up coins that we would find on the ground and we would walk to the Brookhaven Marta station and we would put the money in the thing and we would get one of these guys and we would get on the train and just ride it. And we wouldn't get off it. We were, we were brave enough to get on it, but we weren't gonna get off the train except to come back to our station. So uh, that's what we would do. And I think I told that story many, many years ago to my parents. And I don't think my mom knew that we had done that, which is fine because that was the plan. She wasn't going to know that we did that. Uh, But there were several of us that would just go on these excursions and we would be bored at the boys club because I'm no good at foosball um, or uh, free karate classes. And so it would be like, well, let's just go get on the train and go downtown and see what's going on. Uh, and that's what we would do as upper elementary, young junior high kids. Pretty, pretty crazy. Now I'm I'm guessing if I would have asked the 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 powers that be at the boys club, hey, can we can we just jet for a minute and go ride the train? They would probably say no. Uh, so we always had to sneak out and do that, and then sneak our way back in. Pretty interesting uh, part of my life. But uh, 
I did a survey on our Instagram, uh, I think on Monday, just like, hey, tell us where you weren't allowed to go as a kid. I got some interesting responses to that. I mean, obviously, R-rated movies like was one of the responses. One was uh, something about The Simpsons, like you weren't allowed to watch The Simpsons, I guess. And somebody said Harry Potter, like they couldn't go see Harry Potter at the theater. But my favorite one, and I would love to know more about this, uh, not now, but you can you can send me this the details here. But the, the only thing the person wrote was The 7-Eleven. So I don't know what was going on at the 7-Eleven uh, where this person grew up, but I would love to know why they weren't allowed to go uh, to the 7-Eleven. If you're not familiar with what a 7-Eleven is, it's like a it's a convenience store. Uh, but anyway, uh, so that's, you know, I, I loved seeing those like where you weren't supposed to be uh, as a kid. And uh, but definitely have some questions about the 7-Eleven. Um, so if you were following along as Joel read uh, our gospel passage for the morning, you probably picked up on the stress uh, that existed in the story uh, due to the fact that Jesus wasn't where he was supposed to be. Very simple observation. His parents had to go back and find him like they had lost him. We'll get to that in a moment. And if you're a parent, then you know the fear of losing your child or not being able to find your child and the stress that comes with that. Our daughter really was into hiding for a while uh, when she was super little and she would just hide in our in our home and like we sometimes we couldn't find her it would be like minutes like we couldn't it's not a big home it's 900 square feet you figure you could find somebody there's three closets uh you know but we couldn't she was so good at hiding that there were times where i was like afraid that she's gone like i couldn't find her and then she would giggle you know from behind the uh from behind the curtain uh, so maybe you're familiar with that, but it's a fear. I mean, every parent has that fear that they'll lose their child or, or that they'll get lost themselves. And the story in Luke's gospel that we're looking at today takes us into that very stressful and perplexing scene where Jesus goes missing, sort of. Uh, and this, this story only appears in Luke's gospel. And Luke has chosen this story uh, to be the first one in which we hear Jesus say anything. That's very important in the gospel accounts. Uh, this is the first time Jesus says anything in Luke's gospel. Now, just a couple things about the story, and then I want to offer some application for us. The first is the story takes place in Jerusalem during an annual festival known as Passover. Passover is a massive holiday uh, on the Jewish calendar. It's a celebration and a commemoration of uh, the Israelites' freedom from slavery in Egypt. So it goes way back into their history. And it's hard to say exactly how many people would come to Jerusalem for this, but some ancient writers talk about the city of Jerusalem swelling two to three times its size during these types of festivals. Now Luke mentions that Jesus is 12 years old. Now to us, that seems pretty young. You probably wouldn't put your 12-year-old on a train by themselves, but a 12-year-old at that time, especially in Jewish culture and ancient Judaism, was not really considered a child uh, like we would consider someone a child today. A 12-year-old was very capable of participating in social and civic life at some level. But even still, being 12 wasn't the same as being 25 or 50 or older. And so what Luke is doing here is showing us that th this point in Jesus's life where he is riding the line between dependence and independence uh, from his parents or with his parents. And it is easy to wonder, like, uh, were Mary and Joseph that clueless 
that they didn't realize that their son was missing until they were three days down the road. It's a valid question. Um, But, you know, in those days, the extended family and the caravan culture of traveling uh, from city to city uh, would have made something like this very easy uh, to miss. Not in a sense of neglect, but just in the sense that we have this massive family on the road together, extended family. Uh, it would be very easy to lose track of your of your child, but not necessarily to worry about them because they're just back in the caravan somewhere. And so they go back to Jerusalem. It's this really tense scene. They go back to Jerusalem thinking that Jesus has perhaps stayed behind with some extended family in the city, but they find him in the temple. And Luke says that he was sitting among the teachers, and sitting in the temple is a posture of uh, the teacher. And so the indication here is that Jesus is either very precocious, he's like, I'm going to sit down with the teachers and do a little rap uh, uh, over the subject matter with these guys, and Jesus isn't obviously there for the donuts and coffee, uh, but he is participating in the debate, in the instruction, in the spiritual conversation. It's a very surprising scene to the parents. This is one of the first uh, things that we notice about Jesus and Luke's gospel is that Jesus and his actions are very surprising uh, to the people even closest to him. And it's here that we get to the peak of the story, which are the first words of Jesus. Jesus looks at his parents and says, why, are you look- why were you looking for me? And then he asks them this question, did you not know that I must be in my father's house? Now, as I said earlier, uh, the first words that Jesus speaks in all four Gospels are different. So each Gospel writer takes the beginning of Jesus' spoken life to a different place. And the Gospel writers uh, choose those stories to set the tone for the rest of the Gospel. So the first words out of Jesus' mouth in each of the four Gospels sets the tone for the themes that will appear throughout <coughs> that Gospel. And Luke's uh, Gospel focuses a great deal on Jesus' tendency to be in the wrong places with the wrong people, especially in places where he really wasn't supposed to be. Luke's gospel is the only gospel that refers to Jesus as a friend of sinners. So controversy follows Jesus throughout Luke's gospel, from the ways that he forgives, the ways that he heals, the ways that he associates with irreligious people, he eats at the wrong tables. It's all a problem for Jesus in Luke's gospel. And one of Luke's angles in the gospel is that Jesus is very surprising, and he's also very frustrating to pin down. He will not be cornered into anybody's religious boxes. And so there are two things about this story that are very, very encouraging to me, because again, it's just, a, you know, it's just a, an event in the life of Jesus. We can look at it objectively and go, great, the parents lost track of their kid, they found him, He said something smart aleck back to him, story over. Or we can dig into what Luke is probably trying to tell us about the person of Jesus. And the two things that are encouraging to me in that realm are, one, um, as far as the surprising nature of Jesus, uh, number one, there's nowhere that life could end up for me or for you in which Jesus wouldn't be comfortable being in. So Jesus... Uh, throughout Luke's gospel, ends up in places he shouldn't be, with people he shouldn't be with, etc. But he's very, very comfortable in these places. And that's encouraging to me and hopefully encouraging to you. And and secondly, 
with that, wherever I find myself in life, I can always look around and search out the ways in which Jesus is present and working. He's there. Uh, He's participating constantly in his father's work. And so for me, the encouraging factors in this story are, are basically centered around the presence of God, the presence of Christ in my life, wherever I end up being. And if there's ever a point where I feel like, I don't think Jesus would be here with me in this situation, I could look back to this story and all of the stories in the gospel writings, especially in Luke's gospel, that Jesus is quite comfortable in every single situation and in some controversial situations as well. Uh, and so it's very, very encouraging that, uh, and vi- that the, the surprising nature of the presence of Jesus. Now, this past year, 2020, was rough. It was rough on our families. It was rough on our work. It was rough on our friendships. Um, it's, it was rough on our emotional well-being, our mental well-being. Um, you, you know that. And the, and the other issue is that January 1 didn't really change that. It reminded me of that great line from the Violent Femmes, third verse, same as the first. It, here we are just living the same. The calendar has turned, but it's still, we're still in this situation that's very rough. And uh, it was rough on all parts of our life. And I think it was rough, too, on our faiths. I think our collective faith as a church, our individual faith as people, uh, it's definitely been rough on that. Now, I want to hit pause here and talk to you about something that I'm going to throw in the chat room here in just a minute. Um, as pastors, and we've been talking about this, but as pastors, we're very interested into how the previous year has impacted your faith and your life in general. And uh, and so we've put together this, uh, this anonymous survey feedback thing that gives you the space to tell us how 2020 played a role and how it impacted your faith, both positively, negatively. There's a lot of other good questions in there, some things to to think through. Uh, I'm going to throw that link in the chat room um, in just a few moments as I finish up, and you can grab that, but I'll also put it in the newsletter tomorrow. But I would love for you to jump on it, fill it out, give us feedback, because again, as pastors, we want to be able to respond with encouragement, Maybe even maybe even shift some things that we do to address uh, needs that you have. Uh, but this was very very interesting to us because again, there's no way that 2020 didn't impact us unless you're just that type of person who uh, pretends that reality isn't there. Um, but we would love to hear how you felt. And one of the questions in there that was interesting to me was we have a question in there about. In your experience, how the events of 2020 negatively impact your faith should be easy to fill out. We're very, <laughs> the road to negative is so wide. But uh, but the follow-up question is the same except for were there ways that your faith was impacted positively? And that has to do with what we're looking at today, this surprising nature of God in the midst of uh, difficult and rough situations and stressful times. And so it would be very interesting for you to think through that and to fill that out. It's one of the questions uh, in our staff as we in our staff on our staff team as we get ready for the new year, we do some reflection and it that's one of those questions too. What was some surprising things for you uh, over the last year in terms of God's presence in this new normal? 
Uh, so I would, again, I'm going to throw the link in there. I'd love for you to do it. But I just want to hit pause and talk about that for a minute before I close. Um, so in closing, this story to me is so good. It's so powerful. And it reminds me that um, in whatever situation, stressful, tense, even hopeless uh, situations that we might find ourselves in, if we keep our eyes open, we will see that Jesus is present in some way. Uh, and we can be joyfully surprised uh, when we recognize that. And I think oftentimes this is a great line from the story just to leave with today that no matter what situation you're in, if you look hard enough, you'll find the presence of Christ in and through people or situations. And it's as if Jesus is looking at us and saying, didn't you know that I would be here? Like, did you not think that I wouldn't be here with you? Um, I love that line from Jacob in Genesis 28, uh, where he says, surely the Lord was in this place and I didn't know it. What a line. Surely God was in this place and I just didn't know it. And, um, and I love the way the, the rabbis phrase this, where they're like, God doesn't really show up. You know, we pray for God to show up. God doesn't really show up. We do. We awaken to the fact that he is always there. Sometimes I'm gonna get my pants.